someone to be around you. Someone to sit down and pour you short But sometimes saying goodbye to familiar folks is the only way. Sometimes that's when you finally find your space. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Japan Distilled Podcast. We are very, very happy that you've joined us once again. I'm your host, Christopher Pellegrini, recording from quarantine jail in my home in Tokyo. And with me, as always, recording in Fukuoka, Japan, is my co-host, Stephen Lyman. We're both certified show to an Awamori professionals. We're published authors. And we love great spirits no matter where they're made. We've been exploring the wonderful world of Japanese spirits for basically more than three decades now, and we're very excited to share them with you through this podcast. Stephen, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Christopher. Uh, as always, I feel like that's becoming like a catchphrase. That's your line. Yeah, I'm an optimist and I enjoy life. And I am really, really glad to be back in Japan. Uh, as I'm sure many of our listeners know, you and I both traveled in the States over the last couple of months. Uh, doing a lot of uh, shochu promotion and and education and that sort of thing, but it was such a relief to be home <laughs> and to have my stuff and to be able to relax and not have the stress of travel and eating out, living out of a suitcase, all that sort of thing. So um, good to be home. Yeah, I, I hear you. It is nice to be able to not listen to people's voices who you don't know on a daily basis outside your door. Or to have housekeeping like banging around out in the hall and slamming the vacuum cleaner into your door at 8.30 in the morning. Um, <laughs> it is kind of nice. Yeah. Uh, however, I will say, I will say that the, some of the beds that I was sleeping on for about the six weeks that I was in the States were pretty comfy. And when I came back, there was a little bit of disappointment in how, I don't know, how vintage my mattress is. I guess it's a vintage mattress. Interesting. And yeah. We need to do something about it. They do have a shelf life. Uh, but I find it interesting that you had really comfortable mattresses and yet you had housekeeping banging on your door at 830 with a vacuum. <laughs> so that, that's incongruous in my sense of what a hotel should be. Um, but yeah, you're in, you're in the States, right? There's a different sense of hospitality there for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. So without further ado, I mean, today we're going to tackle the first of a series of, I don't know, basically tangentially related, spiritually related haha, uh, <laughs> topics that we hope will all make sense once we get through all of them. But, you know, we're basically going to be talking about things that are outside of Japan, and I'm going to leave it at that for now. Uh, before we dive in, of course, if you have been enjoying the show, please tell other people about Japan Distilled so that they're going to find it. Ratings and reviews, of course, help. And we're starting to see a little bit more momentum with these things and more people reaching out. And, and it's been a lot of fun. We have. And it's always rewarding when I hear from somebody who is actually interested in making shochu outside of Japan. I think there's an increased awareness among home fermenters. A lot of people during quarantine and during the pandemic were making uh, sourdough starters or perfecting their grandmother's chicken soup recipe or that sort of thing. But there was a whole creative movement among home fermenters using koji. And I think some of those home fermenters are now starting to move toward um, home fermenting for alcohol or, or home brewing and even home distilling. We, we heard from a couple recently in Ohio who are uh, taking over their family's farm 
and they're trying to decide what crop to grow to do farm distilling to make shochu in Ohio. And what was really interesting to me is they thought rhubarb might be an interesting ingredient as as the base of the shochu. Now, we know that our frenemies at uh, BrewDog added rhubarb to their, uh, let's not call it a shochu, uh, distilled spirit. Uh, but this couple actually wants to use rhubarb potentially as uh, their as their their base for their koji fermentation and their shochu. Interesting. That's very interesting. You know, I had a good one recently too. Um, just this week, somebody hits me up out of the blue, and they're like, "You know what? I was listening to episode seventeen, the one about sustainability in the shochu and awamori world in the in the spirits world in Japan." And one of the guys on the show started talking about a horse-drawn carriage picking up the garbage in their hometown of Bristol, Vermont. And he thought, wait a second, I'm from Bristol, Vermont. So he reaches out to me and, he's, and he says, how is it possible that there are two guys from Bristol living in Japan right now? And I said, you know what? We got a pretty exclusive club going here, my friend. And his name is Kevin. Nice. And uh, we've, we've had a, you know, he's here on a, he's with Jet in Gifu prefecture um living his best life so it was good to connect with him and that was through you know the power of japanese spirits bringing people from the same hometown back together millions of miles away from where they were where they grew up and that's a tiny town right your, what was, what's your population yeah it's like two thousand people yeah and two of you are in japan at the same time yeah, it's like it's like about a half a percent of the entire town's population is over here nice Phenomenal. So today, let's talk a little bit about some of the shochu that's being made outside of Japan. There's 400 plus distilleries making Honkaku shochu in Japan, but there's also some really interesting products being made overseas. And we're going to focus a little bit to the east of here where we both are. We're going to focus on North America. And I think that, I don't think there's any doubt, the first Shochu I ever had that was made outside of Japan had to have been Namihana, which is made on Oahu by the Hawaiian Shochu Company. And it's great. I'll get into that a little bit later. But how about you? That's a great uh, first expat shochu. I guess we can call them, right? Shochu made outside of Japan to have tried. It's a, it's a fantastic product. When I started to do research for this episode, I was really racking my brain for some of the first buzz I got about shochu being made outside of Japan. And I realized that I had actually visited Soto Spirits in Seattle. Oh, yeah. And they were making the the Evenstar uh, shochu in the Soto neighborhood, uh, really close to Safeco Field, actually. I guess now it's called T-Mobile Park. Boring. <laughs> right? <laughs> well, T-Mobile customer. Uh, so I don't mind the name so much. But Soto was this couple making uh, 100% barley shochu in a beautiful copper still. And they had just decided they wanted to become craft distillers. And I guess craft distilling was becoming popular in Washington State. I guess the licenses had eased up or something like that. And they decided to get into it. And for some reason, they decided to make shochu. Hmm. Now, what was really interesting for me is they had never been to Japan. They had never learned how to make shochu from Japanese people. They read about it, thought it was cool, and decided to try it. Ah. And apparently, they had some success because I tried their, essentially their new make, which they weren't actually selling. 
uh, to the public, what they were doing is they were making 100% barley shochu, and then they were essentially, it wasn't an infusion, they were adding the aromatic just before distillation. So they were making an aromatic shochu, uh, but they were making, uh, their main product actually was a rosemary shochu. So they were putting rosemary into the fermentation just before distillation. They also made a ginger shochu, which we know that's made in Japan. Sure. Uh, a mint shochu. Ooh. And then they actually were putting chilies into a shochu, which actually, if you think about it, that could be a really nice base for a Bloody Mary. Oh, yeah. Because that could give you some of the heat right, right off the bat. Unfortunately, Soto did not survive. But uh, there is a review that I wrote after visiting the distillery on Kampai.us uh, that still exists. Just, I want to take a, a little moment here, though, and say there's a difference in our minds between shochu that's being made overseas and then shochu that's being, what's a good word for it, essentially brands that are being created by Americans for sale overseas, or not, not just Americans, anybody, right? So it's essentially private brands. And then early example was Kai, which I don't remember if you remember Kai, uh, but they actually were contract distilling their shochu in Vietnam. Oh, I did not know it was Vietnam. Yeah. And their website address actually used to be kaivodka.com. And as a sign of the times, it's like now kaiseltzer.com. Oh, geez. <laughs> so, you, uh, you know, I guess they're still around. They're still making uh, some sort of, of alcoholic beverage. Uh, so good for them. But that's more contract distilling. That's not really uh, making your own. And we really want to focus in this episode on making your own. Right. So you're talking... The difference between a company that is is making their product in a in a country outside of Japan and then selling it there or selling it wherever they ship it to versus a company outside of Japan sourcing shochu in Japan and then exporting that to to some other country, right? That's right. I mean, we're talking Rag and Bone is one of the big ones that's that's out there is still out there. Mm-hmm. Um, I I believe they have a shochu product from Oita Prefecture. That's correct. And they have an Arak, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a few different products in their line. And then there's also, of course, Mizu, who we've talked about breathlessly for in many episodes. And we talk about them all the time on our show Tuesday uh, weekly live stream mm-hmm. made in Saga Prefecture. And, you know, those stories are told very, very well by the team that runs it in based in New York City. And they've done a phenomenal job of expanding their reach and their network across the states. But again, what we're talking about today is the companies that are set up outside of Japan and they are brewing, distilling their own shochu. So what you got? Yeah. So perhaps the biggest and most well-regarded distillery making shochu in the U.S. right now is St. George Spirits in Alameda, California. Their master distiller, Lance Winters, is actually a former nuclear physicist who turned master distillery hmm. and their distillery is in a former dockside military hangar. So Alameda is actually an Island in essentially the Bay abutting Oakland. So it's on the Oakland side of, of San Francisco Bay and Alameda Island is this, is this huge network of, of docks in the port. And they have this dockside distillery. That's just a massive old hangar uh, that was used by the military. They've got all sorts of equipment, great stills, uh, lots of barrel aging going on. It's really a beautiful facility. So if you ever have a chance to visit, I absolutely recommend it. Mm. And Lance got interested in shochu and he's a very experimental guy, as you can imagine, as a former uh, scientist. And they started with sake leaves from a, a local 
uh, brewery. There's a number of actually quite large sake brewers in the Bay Area, uh, thanks to investment from some of the big sake makers in Japan who realized it was actually cheaper to make it in the States for some of the kind of futsushu, like the, the table sake. And this uh, local brewery is using Cal Rose, which is a uh, California-grown rice that's often used for sake production in the U.S. And uh, they basically re-ferment the sake lees in a kasatori style. And then I'm a little saddened by this, but at least they're transparent about it. They do add neutral spirit. Now, it is non-GMO organic grain neutral spirit is added to the fermentation before distillation, I guess, just to boost up the, the alcohol percentage. Maybe their mm-hmm. re-fermentation didn't get the ABV up high enough uh, for what they were happy with. Um, so it's not Honkaku shochu, but it is shochu. And I got to say, it's, it's really, really nice. It's a, it's a, mm. it's a pretty drink. It comes in at 40% alcohol. I believe it's just called California shochu. Is that right? It has a bear on the label. That's what I remember. It does. It's actually called St. George California shochu. It's got a bear on the label, and Lance actually was involved with the design. So not only did he make the product, he actually designed the label, which is mm. you know cool story. So I guess this is my chance to talk about Namihana a little bit more. Namihana and the Hawaiian Shoju Company, as I said, are that's a, a brand made on Oahu Island, up on the North Shore, the area that's really famous for surfing and gigantic tortoises and um, shaved ice and <laughs> a bunch of and shrimp and. <laughs> All sorts of things. And it was started by a Japanese couple, Mr. and Mrs. Hirata. And Mr. Hirata was actually a kurabito at Manzen in Kagoshima Prefecture for a number of years. And it was always his dream to make shochu in Hawaii. And so he got some help from when he decided to move over. I know that the the president of Manzen actually donated, gave him presented him with some old kame, some of the old fermentation pots, put him on a boat, sent him over to Oahu so that he could do it old school. He has a proper um, koji muro, so he's making his koji by hand. It's a very small operation, and they do a couple of batches of sweet potato shochu with locally harvested sweet potatoes. It's actually a blend of different varietals of sweet potato, from various farms and also sometimes from various islands in Hawaii that is made, you know, right up on the North shore. It's absolutely amazing. I've been there a couple of times to get the tour and, and hear about his philosophy. He makes two main expressions. One is their Namihana, which is 30%. And then they also have a bonsai strength, which is a, a much higher proof expression that is impossible to get your hands on. He doesn't really, he doesn't, it doesn't go anywhere outside of Oahu normally. I mean, 80% he sells right from the distillery, or at least that was true before the pandemic. And then uh, the other 20% is sold at kind of high-end restaurants and bars on the island. I've been in touch with him, you know, off and on for a long time. And he just informed me this past weekend that he's now got a new still in the distillery. Nice. And he's also, he's making gin now he's making he's got a sweet potato shochu based gin called halewa or if you pronounce the w correctly halewa rainbow <laughs> and it's a rainbow because the botanicals in addition to the juniper from italy are all locally sourced and they're all super colorful 
So he chose botanicals that create a rainbow. Nice. And he uses though in this those in this new gin that he's working on right now. Um, I just heard about that yesterday. So this is brand spanking new news. And I did get his blessing to let that out of the bag. Very cool. I had no idea. Um, but he's doing amazing stuff. And I think when you talk about really authentic, when you talk about Honkaku shochu being made outside of Japan, that's the thing. Mm-hmm. Namihana is is actually Honkaku soup potato shochu being made outside of Japan. It is. It's. I mean, the rice that they use is a, it's a heirloom rice from Hawaii. I guess it's actually now grown in California because there isn't really rice cultivation in Hawaii anymore. Mm. But the fact that they're using an heirloom Hawaiian rice, they're using locally sourced sweet potatoes, you know, a very traditional fashion. And I'll tell you, when I visited, I've only, I've only been once. I actually went with some of the uh, Miyazaki shochu makers, mm-hmm. which was really cool. And I was really curious how they would react to him. And we basically all sat around a table and I just shut up and listened and they just went on it and they they demonstrated such respect for him and what he's doing because all of these guys you know they're in japan they can rely on each other to learn and to you know when they have questions and that sort of thing and he's just out (laughs) really on an island by himself uh, just doing his thing and he's making really really beautiful shochu and i was really impressed how the miyazaki makers just gave him so much respect for what he's doing Hmm. And the other thing that struck me when I visited was the distillery itself is essentially a imperfect carbon copy of the Monzen distillery. Mm-hmm. The, the doors are in the wrong place, like the entrances, but the still is in the same corner. The uh, Kojimoto is in the same corner. The uh, rice steamer is in the same position. The, the ceramic pots in the floor are essentially where they are in the Monzen distillery. It's almost like this, uh, it's almost like a lithograph or like, you know, remember the old, like is, is actual carbon copies, like right. nothing was perfect, but, <laughs> and it's, it's also in like a very sort of modern industrial warehouse kind of building mm-hmm. where, uh, the Monzen distillery is actually an old, you know, wooden Japanese structure, but it's, uh, the, the interior, the guts of it were just so reminiscent of Monzen. I was, I was really, really surprised, but I guess it makes sense because that's where he worked. Yeah. That's what he knows. Yeah, that was that was really cool to to visit. A place I haven't been, but actually is making shochu, and I'm I'm a little embarrassed that I haven't been. Is uh, actually the American Shochu Company because they're in Frederick, Maryland, oh, which is not that far at all from my brother's house. Probably a 30, 40 minute drive depending on traffic. But unfortunately, on this last trip, I just had zero time when I was in the DC area. Uh, but that's actually shochu being made by another Japanese expat, uh, Taka Amano. Uh, and his wife, Lynn, who's an American, and he he was in the biotech industry for years. Um, and so he ended up getting essentially seed funding to start making shochu in a biotech incubator in Frederick, Maryland. And they've been making uh, 100% barley shochu uh, and selling it basically in local farmers markets and into the restaurants with self-distribution. I guess they've gotten a little bit of distribution on the East Coast now. Um, but if I blind tasted their umai, which is the, the main brand. It's a 24% barley shochu. I would definitely think it was a barley shochu made in Japan. It has all of the the right notes for sort of a, a, a atmospheric distilled barley shochu, which I thought was pretty cool uh, that he was able to accomplish that in a, in a biotech incubator in Frederick. Hmm. Uh, and then he makes a high proof version as well, uh, like the Hawaiian shochu company. Uh, and that's a 40% expression called Roy's Demon. Uh, which is 
got a pretty wild label and well, we'll, we'll post pictures in the show notes, but um, yeah, that's, that's our, our friend Taka making a uh, shochu in Maryland, which he uh, originally was thinking about sweet potatoes, but I think he just, with the whole working in an incubator, not having his own distillery space, not having access to local sweet potatoes, he would have had to source the sweet potatoes from down south. I think he just realized it was easier to make barley shochu. Maybe he'll make sweet potato in the future. He spends a lot of time actually going out there. He, he He's at farmer's markets and all sorts of other outdoor festivals, basically trying to pour samples for people all the time. So he's really putting in the work to help educate people about shochu in the United States, which I'm endlessly grateful for. And another outfit that started very recently, just this summer, their first expression dropped is an outfit in Atlanta, Georgia called Horizon. And Horizon is a rice shochu made with American rice, made with black koji in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, Just a really interesting story, passion that has been driving these two guys for a few years now, Brandon and Witt, who have been you know, slowly over time reaching out to us. We've been, we've been trying to give whatever moral support we absolutely can over, over time. And they've come out with their first expression, their, their rice shochu, which is really good. It's 40% ABV. And Stephen and I, we, we both tried it. We nearly killed, we probably went through three quarters of a bottle together in a hotel after that event at the Japanese embassy in Washington, DC. Really nice notes from front to back on that shochu and and a very good first attempt. Now, it wasn't really a first attempt. I mean, they went through dozens of iterations of this. They're working out of a whiskey distillery trying to do, you know, a fermentation without a mash tun or a lauder tun. The whiskey guys in the distillery are like, what the hell are you guys doing? Um, (laughs) All the the balances are all off and everything and just just a culture clash there and they came out with something really special so i'm a big fan and they've done a great job with the branding and everything uh horizon is a riff on h it's h-o-r-y-z-o-n is the spelling and it's a riff on you may have heard of aspergillus orizae and orizae and the word for rice and the brand involves this bird which is called a bobolink and it's actually a rice eating bird which depending on your sympathies is either a really cool thing or a really annoying thing. (laughs) Uh, But it's just a very, very well thought out uh, brand from front to back and top to bottom. And I know they have a a barrel aged expression, which I believe they're hoping to release next year. So just hats off to them. They're, they're doing a great job, very creative and very hardworking. They are. And I, I really appreciate where they've come from. I mean, I was getting messages from Brandon years and years ago, just asking any questions he had. And uh, I think he originally contacted me through social media and then I gave my email address and we just communicate back and forth and then they'd fall off the radar and they'd come back and it was a bunch of false starts for them. And to see them finally come to fruition with a brand and market is really, really uh, exciting. And as you said, I, I hope it was less than three quarters of a bottle that we drank at 40% alcohol in that <laughs> hotel room. Uh, might've been half. You may not be far off. It's it's a really easy drinking. It's a, it's a really nice shochu. Yep, it is. And although, you know, to give them credit, they don't actually call it shochu. They're, they were super sensitive about that. They wanted to make something that 
uh, because it's made by Americans in America with American-based ingredients using Japanese fermentation techniques, they really wanted to make it its own thing. And so they called it an American koji spirit, which I kind of like. I think it's a nice, nice compromise. Yeah. And again, you know, they're down in Georgia, which you, you, you actually went to Georgia on this trip. How much shochu did people, or how much did people know about shochu? Oh, there was, there was zero understanding of, sho, of shochu, Japanese shochu. There's a very robust Korean community in the Atlanta, Georgia area. So there's a ton of soju. And all of those extremely flavored and fruity soju that are all the rage right now were out in full force everywhere we went. Uh, so it's definitely an uphill battle. There's going to have to be a lot of education involved. And the good news is that they, they're the type of guys to be out there every day, boots on the ground, and one tasting at a time, getting turning heads and you know busting stereotypes in the whole nine yards. And they're going to be very, very good for the shochu industry moving forward, I feel. I think they will too. And I think they did a really nice job with their packaging. It really does feel like an American craft spirit, but with just little hints of information that, that gives a little, little touch of Japanese-ness. Mm. And so I thought they, they really balanced things uh, very nicely. Another shochu we're aware of made in America, but we've never seen it in the wild. We've never tried it, is one called Sai, S-A-I which is a collaboration between the Colorado Sake Company and I think you would say Ironton or Iron, it must be Ironton Spirits right? Yeah, uh, in Colorado. And the best I can tell is that it's a Sake Lee's Shochu. So it's a Kasutori Shochu, uh, which makes sense because that's the easiest style to make for people who are unfamiliar with koji fermentation. True. You know, they might have goosed it with more koji, more rice, more yeast, whatever. But that came out apparently in late 2019 difficult timing, but if it was an experimental product, maybe they didn't make up a lot of it, but it was actually, there was a release party somewhere in Colorado. Hmm. And then that's the last we heard of it. There were bottle shots, but I never heard anything else. It's not on either of the company's websites. Ah, that's weird. So if it was a really small batch run, it might've been a one-off and, uh, you know, sold out and, and aren't doing it again, but just, you know, credit to them for trying for sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I guess to, to round out this whole chat that we're having right now, I think obviously we're focusing on American shochu makers or American-based shochu makers. And it's just basically because it's what we found. And, you know, if there are others out there, then we're really just not aware of them at this point. But we're sure that there are other shochu makers out there. I mean, for instance, we have heard of shochu being made in, I believe it's Bali, for instance. And I believe it's kind of an Arak influenced expression. I don't know a whole lot about it, but I'm sure there's a lot more stuff out there. So if you know about anything that's being made that we haven't mentioned today or that we might not be aware of, then please reach out to us and let us know because we would love to hear these stories and we would love to try those drinks and, and just see how things are evolving in different parts of the world outside of Japan. Absolutely. I mean, it's just exciting for us that Koji spirits are being made anywhere outside of Japan. Yeah. And we recently caught wind of uh, shochu being made in South Africa, of all places, which really surprised me. Right. Uh, a brand called Tanuki, uh, which is made with locally grown rice, but we don't really know much else. So it'd be really nice to learn more about that. We also know that there are other distilleries experimenting with Koji fermentation, uh, but we don't know much about their processes at this point. 
uh, I think most notably, you've got Empirical in Copenhagen, right. which is making really fascinating expressions. And they're really trying to defy categorization. They really just want their spirits to taste good without saying, this is a whiskey, this is a gin, this is a shochu. They're just making cool stuff. Sure. Uh, and I, I can appreciate that. And I do know there's a bottle waiting for me when I get back to New York next time of a pumpkin spirit made with koji from Matchbook Distilling in Long Island. Uh, but again, don't know much about how they fermented, where, where the sugars were extracted from, etc. Um, and really, you know, with an episode like this, and even just the two of us working together, we can't really hope to cover the globe alone and understand who's making shochu where all around the world. Uh, but if you are a shochu maker or you know somebody who's making shochu or interested in making shochu, uh, please reach out to us. Let us know. I mean, we really do want to know about all of these different products that are being, being made. The fact that koji fermentation is reaching outside of Japan's borders is really exciting, as I mentioned. So, yeah, it should be exciting to see how things shake out moving forward. The quality is definitely going to improve. Uh, there's going to be obviously a lot of experimentation going on because you know that folks are hesitant to call it shochu they're hesitant to label it as honkaku i mean even hirata-san who's making namihana is hesitant to label his shochu honkaku because well he's not making it in japan okay fair but also there's there's a bit of artistic license that is permitted if you don't call it honkaku you're allowed to use other ingredients you've got more elbow room to kick the tires on some entirely new concepts. And I think that's going to be what we see from a number of makers moving forward once they once they do put their thinking caps on or once they do kind of let the training wheels off and really go for something new. Um, so it should be fun to see what's coming up next. Totally agree. And it, it's really interesting that Hirata-san is not willing to say Honkaku because his shochu is more authentic than a lot of the stuff made here. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it is so old school, traditional handmade shochu. And it's a beautiful thing. And it's a beautiful drink. But I, also, I agree with you about the potential for experimentation. And that actually takes me all the way back to the first distillery I visited that was making shochu outside of Japan, Soto, rest in peace, where they were making a rosemary shochu. You would never think of making that in Japan. No. And yet it was a really pretty drink. It was a really nice aromatic shochu. So... There is so much room for experimentation, and there's no reason why somebody outside of Japan couldn't make a rhubarb shochu or rosemary, whatever other ingredient they want to use uh, from local agricultural products. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's a, a lot of potential for a lot of creativity in the use of koji fermentation for distillates. So we'll see where things go. But, you know, Christopher, I think when we do these kinds of shows, we always have a question toward the end is that and that's whether or not you're sipping on something are you trying anything as we're talking i am i am sipping on the namihana number 15 oh nice vintage number 15 right now i think i've got a bottle of 14 i don't think i have 15 uh, in my possession so maybe you can save me a little bit of that yeah no problem maybe it's time for some samples trading again probably is probably is i got some good stuff i want to share with you for sure um i'm actually having horizon you, oh, we didn't, nice. we didn't finish that bottle. <laughs> I tightly wrapped the top and put it in my luggage and took the risk of having open bottles in my suitcase because it's not a, it's not a screw top. It's a, it's a plug type, really actually pretty, uh, it looks like silicone rubber, but I don't, with a wooden 
top. So it's a pretty, pretty topper. And I was so worried I was going to get, <laughs> get my, my luggage off the carousel in Fukuoka and it would just be dripping. <laughs> but fortunately it was not. So I'm, I'm actually enjoying, uh, Horizon. It actually says American Rice Koji Spirit Copper Pot Single Distillation. So I like how they're putting a lot of information on the label. Uh, yeah, it's 40% alcohol. It's got a lot of body, nice sweetness. Uh, it's a really, really solid first release. I'm really impressed. All right. Well, thank you very much for listening. And again, as Stephen mentioned, if you know of other expat shoju makers out there, then please let us know. You can contact me at Chris Pellegrini on Twitter and Christopher Pellegrini on Instagram. Stephen, how about you? Yeah, you can reach out to me at Japan Distilled on both Twitter and Instagram. Hit us up with your thoughts on these shochu made outside of Japan if you've tried them. Curious to hear what you think. And uh, again, please listen to our Japan Distilled Show Tuesday, every Tuesday evening, 9 p.m. Eastern and 10 a.m. Wednesday here in Japan. So thank you once again. And to all of you out there in in the world, wherever you may be, listening to Japan Distilled from both of us here in Japan, a very hearty and heartfelt kanpai. Kanpai? We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Japan Distilled Podcast. This has been Christopher Pellegrini with my co-host Stephen Lyman. Our theme song is Begin Anywhere by the very talented Tomoko Miyata. Audio engineering by the incomparable Rich Pav, who also edits the fantastic Uncanny Japan podcast with Teresa Matsuura. Please give that a listen as well if you're interested in Japanese fables and ghost stories. Time's up.